What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors? How and why should I care about those around me, even my enemies? In our 10-part series titled Loving as We've Been Loved, we're exploring how God's great love for us is the foundation for both our loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Join us as we study the scriptures and see what this looks like in our everyday lives. Uh, I'm very excited to preach this morning. We're beginning a new series, all right? Uh, This series is going to be called Loving as We Have Been Loved. Loving as we have been loved. Um, We're really excited about this series. It's going to be a 10-week series around the themes of the the greatest commandments, right? Love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And so asking the questions of what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to love our neighbor? How have we been loved? And how does that inform and motivate the way we love God and others? And so we're going to spend 10 weeks, we're going to talk about some different topics like loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, loving across cultures, things like that. It's going to be a really great series, and we're also trusting that it would be a very practical series. It's summertime, we're outside a lot, we're rubbing shoulders with our neighbors, we're seeing our friends and family. This is a great season for practicing a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about in this series. So we're really excited. How many of you guys are excited about that? Loving as we have been loved. Does that sound good? All right, cool. Okay, so today is week one, and we're going to do a bit of an introduction. I want to set a bit of a framework for the weeks to come. And uh, I want to begin with this. How many of you guys watched the TV series that aired recently on NBC? It was called uh, AD, The Bible Continues. Did anybody see that? Did anybody watch that? Yes? Some people? Okay, I really enjoyed watching this series. I'd encourage you to go watch it, and uh, it's, it'll, it'll make you think about stuff about the Bible, about some of these stories, or even like what happens right after the Bible. It'll make you think about it in ways you haven't maybe thought about it before, um, and it's, it's, it's really solid. One of the compelling angles that the show, uh, that they raise and it, throughout the show is this kind of power dynamics that are going on between the various groups of people in the story. There's a lot of power dynamics. I'm going to put up some pictures of some of the people in the show in case you've seen it or in case you haven't seen it. The first character you're going to see is Peter. All right, this is the guy that plays Peter in the story. So there's Peter and the disciples. They're one of the groups of people in the story. And they're trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus? How are we supposed to do this? (laughs) How are we supposed to live this out? What does it look like? There's another group. Uh, It's the Romans. There's the character Pilate and Cornelius there. You're going to see them. And these guys, they operate in a certain way of doing things. They operate with a lot of intimidation, a lot of fear, a lot of violence. They're, they are the, the, the governmental power of the day. They are ruling and making sure everybody knows it. Uh, the next guy you're going to see is a man called Simon. What do you guys know about Simon? Simon the... Zealot. It's so fascinating, some of the scenes with Simon in it, where he's asking the people around him, you know, should we, should we take up arms against Rome or not? And they're, they're debating this. Even the disciples themselves are asking, uh, should we fight back against Rome? Should we, what do we do, you know? Um, there's also the, I don't have a picture of the political, uh, the religious leaders. I should have done that. But, uh, well, actually, kind of. The last guy you'll see is, is Saul. This is the guy who plays Saul. And uh, he also is operating in a certain way. He is 
operating also with intimidation and violence. He's persecuting Christians. This is before Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. It's so fascinating to see some of the depictions of this. And you can't help but watch this show and start to ask yourself, in what way are these disciples supposed to live? Because they are questioning. They're, are, we, are we really supposed to love our enemies? Are we really supposed to wait on the Holy Spirit and he's going to guide us? Or should we take up our own methods? Should we take up the methods of the world, perhaps? Should we take up the methods of Rome itself, of violence and power, and, and, and try to create a greater kingdom than theirs? And these are all the things, the dynamics that are going on there. I think it's a, a brilliant picture of what was happening in those days. And I think it raises the very same question that we need to ask today. And the question is this. In which way does God's kingdom operate? In which way does God's kingdom operate? Lest we think that those were, that was only a question for them in those times, in those situations, let's remind ourselves of the day we live in. <laughs> you can, if, you, if you're watching the news, every day you'll see news stories about people using these different tactics of, of power and, and te- terror and fear and violence and all these different ways of, of getting their way, of accomplishing their goal, right? And, and there's so many different ways you see around us. And, and, and we can fall into that very same way of living, can't we? Uh, in the past few weeks, uh, ISIS has continued to execute Christians using violence and terror to control or to try to control. Uh, in the past few weeks, uh, there was the shooting in Charleston where there is an attempt to bring fear and intimidation out of hatred. They would, they would hope to, 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 to persuade a certain group of people because of using violence. And just this past week, uh, churches have been burned in our nation. Again, people operating in a way of intimidation and fear and power struggle and violence. And so this question is extremely relevant to us today. In which way does God's kingdom operate? In which way do we respond to the very things that are going on in our world around us? Should we take up arms and, and fight people who are fighting us? Do we, do we need to hit people over the head and, and convince them they're wrong? In what way does God want to change the world and change the human heart? How should we respond? I want to submit to you today that the way that Jesus operated and the way that he is asking us to operate is the way of love. The way of love. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians 13 today, if you guys want to turn there. One of the things that might be interesting through this series, I, I kind of thought, as I was preparing and writing some things, I found myself uh, a lot, like the series is about love, right? And I couldn't help but think of all kinds of song lyrics and song titles, and you're probably going to hear a lot of that, whether it's intentional or unintentional. So, a little game you can play during the series is maybe tally how many song lyrics you can think of, how many song titles you can think of. There's going to be a few in my message today, whether they're intentional or not. And uh, whoever can get the most uh, will get, get a prize for you or something. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. You guys doing good? Okay. 
So that's just a little fun thing you can do while, while you're listening, right? All right. So I think there's a need for definition today as we talk about love. And, and a need for definition as we talk about it in our series. As I said, we will be saying that word a lot. We're going to be saying love, 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 love. Okay, what do we mean when we say love? What is love? Anybody? <laughs> Not going to sing it, but... <laughs> um, I think there's a need for definition because it is used so broadly, this word love, in our culture. And in the Bible itself, there are different words for love as well. And so it's important for us to take a glimpse of this. So we're going to set the stage, the need for definition, what is love? Um, our culture thinks, uh, our culture says a lot of things about love. Uh, it says things like, can't help falling in love. Love is more than a feeling. I will always love you. You've lost that loving feeling. Wait, I'll always love you and then you uh, I don't know. Justify my love. And I want to know what love is. Okay, those were total giveaways, guys. <laughs> Mark those down. <laughs> but I think it's safe to say that our culture says a lot of things about love and uses the word love in a lot of ways. Even in other recent news, we've been hearing the word love a lot. And how is it being used? How is it defined? And how should we define love as believers? Uh, our culture thinks in ways, at times we'll say things that makes love to be a magical bond. Kind of a Hollywood bond between people, a magical thing. Or it is a feeling, it's just this emotion that we have and it, and it ebbs and flows. And, uh, or that it is action, it, it's more than a feeling, it requires doing things, that's good. Uh, or... Or is love conditional, right? Do, do we have limits to it? Is there, are there certain conditions to which I will love? Are there certain people to which I will love? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. And I think that uh, it's our culture says a lot of things and can be very confusing at times. And as I mentioned, the Bible speaks of four different kinds of loves. If you read the book by C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, he talks about these. I'll just go very quickly. But there's storge, which is an empathy kind of love. There's phileo, which I spelled wrong here. Uh, it's a friend, friendship bond. Philadelphia, phileo delphos, love of brother, brotherly love. There's eros, which is an erotic bond. This is romantic love. And there is agape, which is the unconditional God love. And so even the Bible itself speaks of love in different words, but our English translations say one word, love. And so it's really uh, helpful if you're studying the Bible, you can look up, hey, what word is being used there when it says love? Okay, so again, there's a need for definition, and we're going to see how the Bible defines Love today. What is meant by the word love? So I want to ask that question. How do you know what kind of love God has for you? How do you know what kind of love God has for you? Is it just looking up that word, agape, and saying, oh, okay, I know that he has that kind of love for me. And that is true. That is what he says. It says, for God so agape the world. It is true. He loves it unconditionally. He loves it without merit. That is true. But, but how do we know still what kind of love and, and, and to what extent that love goes? 
The reason we sang that last song this morning is I just can't think of better words to say what the love of God is. It's just like, it's so vast. You know, the, 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 the task of trying to explain it would, would drain the ocean, you know, if it were filled. With, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, so how do we know what kind of love? Is it just what the word says? Or is it something more than that? I want to suggest today that we know what kind of love God has for us by seeing it and by experiencing it. Something that we're trusting for through this series is, 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 a, is experience. An experience of God's love for us as well as the experience of giving out that kind of love, that very same kind. And so I think we can, we can understand what kind of love God has for us by seeing it and by experiencing it. Listen to the scripture. Romans 5, 8 says this, But God shows his agape for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates it. God shows it. Listen to the words of this song called See His Love. It says, See His love nailed onto a cross. Perfect and blameless life given as sacrifice. See Him there in all, all in the name of love. Broken yet glorious. All for the sake of us. See His love. God shows His love for us. There, there's a demonstration of God's love that we can see, that we can experience, that we can understand. So let's talk about the definition of love. The the scriptures uh, talk about God's love as an active, unconditional, unmerited kind of love. That while we were still sinners, when there was nothing lovable about us, when there was nothing that merited it, that, that... that deserve to be loved, God showed his love while we're still sinners. This is, this is not just an inner disposition towards us, uh, just a feeling that God has towards us where it's just all inside and, man, love you guys. No, no, it's, it's active. It, it does something. It, it shows it. It can't not show it. It's a willingness to sacrifice himself for us. Christ going to the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The willingness to sacrifice himself. And, it's the, and it gives, it ascribes great worth. God's love ascribes worth to its object because it has paid a great price. The, the greatest price paid places the greatest worth possible on that object, right? Think about how you love other people. How do you show them? You, you do things. You, 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 Take cost to yourself to show people love. You spend your time. You spend your money. You, 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 you talk. You stay up late talking. You do these things where you, you're showing something of this love. And it's costly. You don't get as much sleep. And you don't have as much money in your bank account anymore. And you don't have as much free time when you're loving people. It's the truth. But the cost given ascribes great worth to that object, doesn't it? And God's love is the demonstration that every person is worth Jesus dying for them. I said this before in a, in a past sermon, but, but the, the cross of Jesus allows only one opinion, allows us to have only one opinion of people. And that is that they are worth Jesus dying for. 
We can only have one opinion of people, and that's what it is. They're worth Jesus dying for them. Listen to this quote by St. Augustine. He says this, The cross was a pulpit in which Christ preached his love to the world. Isn't that good? The cross was the pulpit that he rose to, to speak this incredible love and to show it. If I could amend that quote, I would say, to preach and to demonstrate, right, his love to the world. So today, I want you to be grounded in this, that the cross of Jesus is the definitive, it is the definition of God's love. It is the the showing and telling of God's love. It is how God defines love. Therefore, it's how we define love. We can define love in lots of ways. Like I said earlier, we can, we can look to our culture to do that. We can look to our, ourselves to do that. But this is how God defines it. Christ crucified. Calvary is the definition of God's love. So the cross, I've been struck by this concept lately. I've been really just thinking about this all over the place. This, this idea of show and tell. How many of you guys remember show and tell in grade school? All right, you know, you bring, some, you bring an object to class, and it's like your coolest toy, and you're like, oh man, I'm so excited. And you get up there, and you, you hold that thing up, and you're like, hey, look at this, guys, I got this for Christmas. <laughs> so cool. And you tell everybody all about it, what it does. So show and tell, right? How many of you guys have ever seen just tell? <laughs> okay, class, we're going to have tell tomorrow. Just, just show up and just tell us about something. You don't have to bring it here. Just, just tell us about it, right? And so then the kid would be standing there, right? Talking about his really cool fire engine he got for Christmas, but he like doesn't have it there. And he's like, guys, you won't believe it. It's like, it's red. And, and they're just like, yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds really good. What's the point of showing something? Doesn't it give just this validity to the telling? Doesn't it give this power and meaning and purpose to the telling? It's, it's this oneness. It's this, this two sides of the same coin where you're showing and telling, where the words have power because they're demonstrated. Show and tell. This is what I think Christ is doing by, by the incarnation, by becoming man and going to the cross, is this demonstration of God's love. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just want to tell us about it. God doesn't just want to shout from a megaphone in the heavens. I love you all. Really? I really do. Right? That's great. But would it be the same without the show? No. I mean, the power is in the show and the tell. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing what Christ has done. Uh, I've got a little uh, comic for you here about show and tell. Calvin and Hobbes, anyone? Calvin and Hobbes, okay. I'll read it for you. Today, for show and tell, I've brought a tiny marvel of nature, a single snowflake. I think we might all learn a lesson from how utterly unique and exquisite crystal turns into an ordinary, boring molecule of water, just like every other one when you bring it into the classroom. And now, while the analogy sinks in, uh, I'll be leaving you drips and going outside. 
Calvin. So, <laughs> all right, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> this thing of show and tell, I want you to think of the cross today as show and tell. As God showing and telling mankind what he's like and what his son is like and demonstrating it. This next picture you're going to see is a, another picture from that, that series, that A.D. the Bible series, when Christ is going to the cross. And so when we look at the cross, we see this great proclamation and demonstration of God's love. God taking up the very instrument of death and ex- execution that the Romans were going to destroy him with and turning it into the greatest emblem of love. Amazing. The cross was the definitive show and tell of God's love. The definition of love is Jesus dying on the cross. It was the greatest muscle and power that God could flex was was sending his son to love. Surely God could have done, he could have operated by violence. He could have operated by all these other ways, but he didn't. And why is that? There's something stronger. (laughs) There's something more powerful than those ways. And it's the way of love. Because what else can transform the heart of man? we We can coerce people to be Christians. But will that transform the heart? Apart from our work of the Holy Spirit imparting the love of God into a heart, nothing else can change the heart of man. Nothing else can take away the the tendency of violence and power and, and all this stuff that you see in the world. Nothing else. Christ is the hope for peace. Christ is the hope for life. Amen? Yes. This is Jesus choosing to shed his blood for his enemies rather than to shed the blood of his enemies. Isn't that amazing? Okay, I'm going to keep moving. So I'm going to ask that question again. In which way does God's kingdom operate? And I've already answered it for you, the way of love. But I want to say it in a different way right now. And in order to do so, I want you to think back to a day called yesterday, okay? Yesterday was 4th of July, right? We celebrated our independence uh, as a nation. And so the way I want to answer this question, you need, to, you need to go back to yesterday and think about our nation and think about the 4th of July. In which way does God's kingdom operate? Well, I want to say this. At Calvary, Jesus signed the Declaration of Independence of God's kingdom. And he ratified its constitution. And he proclaimed and demonstrated that we, the people of God, would operate in the way of love. Okay, I know that's a lot that I just threw at you, but, but there's something happening here. There's this, there's this declaration of there's a new way, there's a new regime now, <laughs> and you can be independent of what you're a part of, the bondage that you're a part of, the tyranny that you're a part of. And he's declaring that. And he's ratifying the constitution, the very creed by which God's kingdom would operate. He's saying, this is how the people of God will live. This is how. And, and, and he's demonstrating that we, the people, the people of God, will operate in the way of love. This is the defining creed of the church. This is the defining creed of the people who will follow Jesus. 
Okay, so I'm going to keep moving into this idea of the command to love. Let's look at Matthew 22. You can turn there. We're going to talk about the greatest commands. Uh, Just before that, the lyrics from the song, Oh Holy Night. I love this. Listen to this. Surely he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Brilliant words. Powerful words. His law is love. Love is now the rule. <laughs> love is the only rule. Let's read. Oh, so sorry. Before we read the passage, I have another illustration. You guys like illustrations? Okay. Good. You're going to see a picture on the screen. What's that? Settlers of Catan, right? Brianna saw it earlier. She's like, why do you have Settlers of Catan in your PowerPoint? Well, I want to talk to you guys a bit about rules. And I know this is, you hear that, and you, this is the part where you're like, ugh. Oh, I don't want to talk about rules. <laughs> oh, how many of you just cringed when I said rules? Anybody? Okay. Um, so if you guys play board games or other kinds of games, you'll know that you have to follow certain kinds of rules in order to play the game. How, how many of you guys have ever played a board game where someone has explained the rules to you, and then at some point later in the game, that explainer says, Oh, hang on a minute. I forgot to tell you something. There's this rule which makes me win, and I forgot to tell you about it. <laughs> so, I win. Um, don't you hate that? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> so, the, there's, there's certain rules of the way the game operates. And if you're not aware of that, you can find yourself operating by the wrong rules or not knowing what the true rules are. Who gets to decide the rules? The creator of the board game, right? The creator of the board game decides the rules. Hasn't God created our world and us in such a way that he knows how we operate and that he knows our hearts? And he knows that the, the rule that will change the hearts of men. <laughs> and, 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 I, and the greatest commandments, we're going we're gonna to turn to it now. I want you to think of it in that sense. It's, it's not, it's not a, a heavy You've got to do this or else. No, it's this guiding, it's this guiding boundary that we're given. It's, it's, not, it's not a heavy thing. You've got to do this. He's giving this, this, these boundary lines, this, this culture. He's defining a culture for his people. Okay? There's, there's a whole, I could get hugely sidetracked on this, but super quickly. It's a fascinating study. If you look at the law that was given to the Israelites, and you look at the spirit that is now given to the believers, and it's this defining of you are a new culture. (laughs) You are a new people. And I want you to operate in a certain way. So I'm giving you this culture. I'm giving you this boundary, this guide. It wasn't meant to be this heavy legalistic thing. It's meant to be a life-giving thing, a a freedom in in the bounds, in the rules that God gives. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so let's read Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. The greatest commands. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is, is making a, a statement. He's defining the rule, if you will, by which he wants us to live. Love God. Love people. And in those two things is all of the law and the prophets. It's fulfilling all of what he's trying to do. It's this defining culture that he's now giving to us. The way in which he wants us to live. So this is the creed. This is the constitution, if you will, that Jesus has signed in by the cross. Love God. Love people. Um, the command to love. So don't think of the command as this heavy thing. Think of it as, as, a, as, a, as a calling, you know? And we've already said it many times this year. Uh, this year, a lot of our sermon series are talking about fulfilling the great commission by obeying the great commands, right? Trusting that if we follow these commands, we are going to do the work, the kind of work that God is wanting us to do. So this is the defining characteristic of, of the disciple, of someone who's following Jesus. The scripture says, they will know you are my children by your love, by your agape. When we love as Christ has loved, when we define it as God has defined it, and when we do that same thing, we are now demonstrating the very love of God. Um, I want to think, you can think of it like this. You're going to see uh, a picture on the screen of, uh, of, well, go ahead and put it up there. Um, this is my family. Okay, so a lot of people, when they meet my kids, especially Silas, they'll say, you have your father's eyes. Okay? And everyone, when, they, when I was a kid, they'd say, you have your mother's eyes. So that's the Silas, that's my mom, this is my sister, and this is me. Sorry if it's kind of creepy to have like four <laughs> eyeballs up there. But, but there's something in our DNA that's connected us. There's a trait that's observable to people. And they say, oh, you must be his father. Right? There's something that, there's a kind of DNA that God wants us to carry that will make it obvious that we are his children. Right? It's this thing of, it's this thing of love. It's the, it's the way we live. That people should see us and they should say, wow, you look like Jesus. <laughs> wow, you have the same DNA, the, the way you live, you know? So think of it that way. We want to carry that DNA, the DNA that, that God has, that Christ has exampled to the world. So, so let's look finally at this way of love. This, uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has talked about the great spiritual gifts that you can have. And he said, desire the gifts. This is great. You're going to use these gifts, all this kind of stuff. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, but still I will show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You guys will know this. It's the famous chapter about love. And this is agape love it's talking about. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about this is the more excellent way of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. We can read this passage as a really nice teaching about love. But I think what Paul is, really, is trying to say is this is describing the way, the better way, the more excellent way. And, and love really matters because it makes everything else matter. Okay? You can f- do all these things and speak these great things, and feed the poor, all this stuff. But without love, it is nothing. So it's the power that makes these other things matter. So when, when the love of Calvary motivates our actions, it, it, it injects that power, <laughs> that transformational power of God's Spirit into that action. It, it, it empowers those things to, to, to do God's work. So I want to close with this, with a challenge, asking this question. Which way will you choose? As I said at the beginning, there's, there's lots of ways of going about the way we want to live our lives, the way we want to accomplish our goals, and who we want to live for. Which way will you choose? And I want to put up some situations that you can think about. Because I want to make this practical. I don't want to talk about theory today and great ideas about love. But let's challenge ourselves this morning. What does this actually mean in my relationship with my friend? What does this actually mean with the situation in my neighborhood that's going on? Okay? So let's make this practical this morning. In your life situation, how can you choose the way of love? Okay, so these are just some examples. I just want to provoke thought. So your friend who, who maybe offends you, your parent who misunderstands you, your child who frustrates you, your neighbor who intimidates you, your enemy who opposes you, and on and on and on and on. Think of somebody in your life that, man, you, you, you have a hard time with or you don't know how, how to love them. You want to see change in their life. You want to see transformation, but it, it's not happening and, and you've tried and you're at your wit's end, whatever it is. Let's bring that to mind today and ask the Holy Spirit, how can, how can I choose the way of love in that situation? How can I instill my actions and my words with this transformational power of the Holy Spirit? And let's trust, let's trust the Holy Spirit to, to give us specific opportunities this week to, to show love to our friends, to show love to our neighbors. Not the love that we think it is, but the love as Jesus has defined it, a Calvary-like love. How can, we, how can we die for these people? How can we bleed for them? 
This is what it's going to take. It's going to be costly. It's going to be uh, inconvenient, right? And I want to I show you this image where you see these advertisements for giving blood. Give blood, save a life, and uh, donate blood. That, that's a little, a little blood character inviting you to donate blood. That's weird. But, um, um, but give blood. Are we willing to bleed? I'm not trying to be gross or morbid here. But I'm just trying to say, if Christ going to the cross crucified is this great example of love that has the power to transform the hearts of man, there's, there's an element of, of bleeding that we, we can do for people. Are we willing to bleed for others? Are we willing to, to sacrifice ourselves for other people? There, there's obviously a, a range of ways, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, physically. I'm not going to define that for you. But ask that. How can I bleed for this person? How can I show them what Christ did for them? And how can that give this power to your actions, this show and tell of the gospel of Jesus? And so I just, I conclude with this. When Christ tells us to take up our cross, that taking up our cross is not a burden that we have to bear, but it's a death that we have to die. It's not just an inconvenience that we have to lug around the rest of our life, but it's a death. It's a, it's a surrender. It's a sacrifice. And so are we willing to bleed? Are we willing to die for others? My final two statements, and I'm going to turn, hand it over to Matt for uh, response and prayer. But receive today, receive the love of Jesus. This, this idea of loving as we've been loved, we can't do it unless we've received it. So receive the love of Jesus. And number two, give the love of Jesus, that same love, as he has defined it, as he has demonstrated it. May we be people who are showing and telling of the great love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.